Hello, and welcome to the Movie Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll have a spoiler-filled discussion about a movie we think you'll enjoy. In this episode, I'm joined by my sister, and we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on the Black Adam movie from 2022. We just watched that, and it was a, a long time in coming, because I think Dwayne Johnson had been trying to get this going for six, seven years or something. Mm-hmm. And the pandemic certainly slowed things down. And in addition to getting Black Adam, we get a couple of members of the Justice Society, Hawkman, Dr. Fate, Adam Smasher, and Cyclone, which I found to be an interesting mix of characters because Hawkman and Dr. Fate are old school characters. Adam Smasher came about in, I want to say the eighties along with Infinity Inc. as one of kind of the legacy members. So second generation kind of a thing. And then Cyclone, I want to say closer to 2000, but I honestly don't remember exactly when she was created. It was part of the Jeff Johns run of JSA as yet another legacy, but that was like a kind of a third generation almost kind of character. And they cast a little differently for the character here, but the actress, I think, did a terrific job. She did. I will say the the first time they had her jump out of the airplane and do her wind effects to get her down to the ground, it was very Tinkerbell. Lots of green, swirling pixie dust. Well, the, the colored smoke or whatever for her was a different look. In the comics, she tended to hang around with, I want to say, Stargirl. And Cyclone was the kind of motor mouth, Mm. very excited to be there character. And that was in comparison to Stargirl, kind of a thing. Which is funny. To the point where sometimes, if I recall correctly, because again, these are comics from like 20 years ago thereabouts, they would do her dialogue in the bloom with like no spaces. So it literally just all kind of ran together and Mm -hmm. very clearly got the, the rushed sensation. And that's not how she's portrayed here. Uh, but again, I really enjoyed this version. This was a, I liked that character a lot. Adam Smasher, which is a, a later identity of Nuclon, they went for a more comedic approach here than in the comics. He's a little more of a tragic tale in the comics. We didn't get much backstory in terms of, we know he got the powers and the suit from his uncle. Yeah, he inherited his powers from the uncle, which is not how power inheriting through biology works, but okay. I was really surprised who they cast. As the uncle. Yes, so was I. Because the Golden Age Adam, which is what Al Pratt was in the comics, was a shorter character and one of those that originally was just one of the street-level boxing-type characters, Mm. which they later gave kind of an atomic punch. And getting Henry Winkler, who's literally phoning in the role, but again, did a great job. And it was during the pandemic that they were filming. Yes, yes. So... Even if it wasn't, if that's the way he could do the role, that works. Well, but I'm thinking if you were filming somewhere that had a 10 to 14 day quarantine. Oh, yeah. For that short of a role. For that one scene. Yeah. Yeah. I can see where that would have been a, hey, if I can film it where I'm at. It's very much an Easter egg sort of a deal. So, and I don't think I had heard anything about that prior to watching. I had not. It's hard for me to remember what all I heard because some of it was stuff that I would have heard literally three years ago. Yeah. Because they had pitched this at the first DC fandom early in the pandemic and such. 
if we've got some, actually at that point, I'm not sure they had footage. I mean, they were talking about this a lot when the Shazam movie came out. Yes. And we got the same actor who played the wizard Shazam here. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely some connections to the Shazam movie, but really other than the, the magic word and that actor and stuff, not as many connections as I would have expected. For me, the movie started in a very interesting manner. Recapping the previous movie they didn't do? Yes, exactly. Yes. The origin story? Yeah. I mean, the first, we should have looked how long it was, but. We should have. The first five, maybe even 10 minutes really felt like the cliff notes of the movie we didn't watch, but would have been a really great first movie. Well, imagine if Marvel had started Captain America with the second Captain America movie that just kind of recapped the first. Mm -hmm. That's what they did here. If this had been a Marvel movie, they probably would have spent one doing the the ancient Kondok stuff real time and setting that up. I think the way they did it here and the reveals and the what we're told, what other people were told and what really happened sort of a deal was interesting reveals. So I I get why they did what they did. It was interesting reveals, but I think watching it play out would have been interesting. And by the time a second movie came out, for a lot of people, it still would have been interesting reveals. A lot of people would have, in other words, forgotten from the first movie. Well, I think they could have done, well, they couldn't have done the same reveals in the first movie. I don't think that would have played well over the course of a film versus the history evolves over time situation. But I think they could have ditched that opening five, ten minutes as it was, or maybe even just used it as is, and then reintroduce the character in the modern age but then ditch the the reveal aspect of it later on. It's just now he's the fish out of water and has to adapt. They could still go back and tell that that origin story as such, but having gotten the 5-10 minute version now, it feels like, what's the point? So yeah. they missed an opportunity there. Mm-hmm. And overall, I think this was a good take on Black Adam. There were a couple of things that were taken thematically from the comics, by which I mean some of the stuff Black Adam did here, he has done stuff very much like just different circumstances, different specifics, but the level of action, the type of action, the the mannerisms, the behavior, the what lines will he or won't he cross, very much from the comics. One of the things that was reminiscent of the comics, but again, I felt was a missed opportunity, was when Hawkman was explaining to Adriano Tomas that Teth Adam isn't who you think he is. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, how would you know? It's like, well, I have access to ancient texts. In the comics, the answer would have been, I knew him back then. Mm, yeah. Because in the comics, much like in Legends of Tomorrow and stuff, there's the continual reincarnation aspect. Yeah. So Jeff Johns did a really great storyline where, and I'm forgetting... Who was traveling back in time? But it was set back in ancient Egypt, ancient Kandak, I forget which, but in the BC era. And there's a couple of, of JSAers who need to take kind of the long way back. And the three characters that are kind of common to that ancient era in the modern day, a version of Hawkman, a version of Dr. Fate, and Black Adam. Mm. And Jeff Johns did a lot with Black Adam in the JSA stuff of turning him into kind of the anti-hero that he's very much portrayed as here. So it, again, did a a good job with the character. 
Well, and they did a good job with Adriana and the people pointing out sometimes the classic hero isn't necessarily what you need. Mm -hmm. We need the champion. We need the protector. We need the person who will show up. Well, the person who will show up and not necessarily the do-gooder, but the guy who'll get the job done. Yeah. And sometimes in war-type situations, that's very different. Yeah. There was a lot of reality in the movie, in well, that sense. The moral ambiguity. Yes, definitely. Well, but reality in terms of, like, in the, the ancient time, there was the guy who finds what they're all looking for. Mm-hmm. And then the others with the, wait, I want the reward. Yes. And kind of mobbing him. Yeah, yeah. And then Harut steps up, just a teenager. And he's like, we shouldn't be fighting each other. Mm-hmm. And takes him and almost a teenager guarding an adult, effectively, to go yeah. get his reward. Well, and again, if all of that had played out over an hour and a half, two hour origin story of all yeah. of this. There was some powerful stuff in that recap. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the modern time part of the story was very well done. When they got to the point of dealing with Black Adam at one point and kind of the, the meaning of the minds or whatever, it felt like enough story had happened they could have ended this, the show there or the, the movie there. Yeah. And then it goes into that final act. Yeah. So I felt the pacing on that was one, because there's a couple where it's like, you're getting here, it's too soon. Yes, yes. So I wasn't paying attention to the time and stuff, so I, I didn't have that as a frame of reference, but in terms of the amount of story they'd done and, and where they'd gone, I was satisfied. I'm happy we got that additional act. Well, and it felt like they earned the various things yes, that happened. they did. Early on in the movie, when Black Adam wakes up in Amon, the kid's bedroom, because, mm -hmm. you know, he, he's been freed from the tomb, and he's seen the inner gang guys who to me looked like soldiers. So Aragang looking like military well, and soldiers, to me, that got confusing at times. Uh, do you want some backstory from the comics on Aragang? Well, let me finish where I'm going to sure. go and then we'll go there. Okay. So then uh, he gets hurt. They bring him back to the apartment. How they get that big a man in the apartment unseen, who knows? But anyways, he wakes up in the teenager's bedroom. And what I loved is when he accidentally uses his powers and he sets Superman on fire. Yeah. Because then later, when there's a fight scene between him and Hawkman in the bedroom, Batman gets taken out in the form of a statue that falls. We uh, see damage to... Uh, Aquaman. Aquaman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash. Basically, all the Justice Leaguers that have been established, except Cyborg. I mean, it was impressive how many DC heroes got attacked without actually being in the movie. Well, when we saw the comics at one point spilling yes. out of the backpack... I found it interesting that in this world there would be comics, much less in, you know, Kondok or whatever, in pristine condition in a backpack, of Flash, Wonder Woman, I didn't catch exactly which other ones. But it seemed to be limited to the, the core Justice Leaguers, again, minus Cyborg, I believe. Yeah. Which makes sense to me. He's uh, Cyborg, not a Justice Leaguer in the same way the others are. Inner Gang, though, is something that I really associate with the Superman comics. Okay. More specifically, I think it originated, I was going to say through the Jimmy Olsen stuff, but it may have been through the Fourth World stuff, because there was a, a credit to the Fourth World. But they were, and certainly Inner Gang had connections to Apocalypse and Darkseid and all of that, uh, but they were a gang of, of great power and stuff in Metropolis for quite some time. Mm. Having high-tech equipment, again, alien technology and stuff like that. 
I don't think they did a great job in this movie establishing that the people on the flying bikes and stuff were inner gang and all of that. Well, like when they attacked at the tomb, they were moving like a SWAT team or a military unit. It definitely felt like it was just the the Kondok militia. Yeah. Well, and the other problem I had is when we first got the flying space bikes or whatever, and you got people in all armor and stuff, the voice we were hearing, and this was early in the film, sounded like enough like Aldous Hodge. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it's like, that doesn't make sense for it to be Hawkman. It can't be. And of course, we cut to him in his spaceship, not in armor and stuff like that. So it's clearly not him. But they never clearly said, this is Intergang. I mean, we've got Intergang being a problem in Kondok, but why Kondok? We never got almost the exposition info dump to, to really set that up. In the prequel portion of the movie, they were mining for... Eternium. Thank you. And then we fast forward to the freeing from the tomb, and one of the rockets says Eternium on it. It's an Eternium missile. And it has like a blue glow to it. Eternium in the comics is the material that the Rock of Eternity is made from. The Rock of Eternity is part of the whole Captain Marvel Shazam quadrant of of DC, which really is the old Fawcett comics. And the Rock of Eternity was kind of this mountain in space time or whatever. So it was like an almost island kind of a thing. And, you know, Captain Marvel could fly around it a couple of times, use it to travel through time or to Superman's reality or some of that stuff, pre-crisis and whatnot. And then here, the way they were doing it, really, I think there was a surprising number of parallels between this Kondok and Wakanda, particularly in the Marvel movies. Well, I was trying to figure out if it was like a power source. Well, and that's, again, going to the the equivalent of vibranium and such. It could be used as a power source, could be used as weapons, all of that kind of stuff. Because like the bikes had the blue glow. Yes. I'm like, so are they powered by the same thing the rocket was? It was definitely being used as a, a power source. Okay. But you, you add the special metal, the lone hero of the nation. The hand gesture. The hand gesture, which in this case was a, a triangular thing versus the, the Wakanda forever stuff. Add to that the chant of, you know, Blung with the champion or whatever. It, it, it's evocative of, mm-hmm. not to say it's identical to. So I, I thought some of that was, was a little interesting. I liked it when they did the hand gesture with the triangle and uh, the kid was doing that and they had lined up uh, Black Adam up in the sky mm-hmm. in the hand gesture. That, that was beautiful. Yeah. And when they finally explained who the statue of the champion actually was and why he kept being drawn to look at it. Why he was looking at it and pondering it versus... Yeah. It, yeah. it spun those scenes differently and nicely. Yeah, they did a good job on that. And I think the reveal that Teth Adam wasn't the original receiver of the powers here in the movie made a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And it worked. So there are times when you take a character from comic to movie or TV show and you've got to make some changes. This wasn't one that they had to make, but it was one that made sense that they made. Well, they put this character on kind of an arc of redemption. Because he starts out with a, I, his moral compass is askew at the beginning. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, you're right. It's kind of a redemption story. It's kind of not. It's a mix between a redemption story and a reluctant hero story, I think. Yeah, definitely reluctant hero. And really, if Adrian did not have a son, if Amon was not there, how different would the movie be in terms of 
he seemed, looking at all this in hindsight, to protect Amon because of her root. I don't want to say to tolerate Amon early on because of her root. Mm-hmm. But definitely there's a touch point there for, for Teth. Now, those two characters originated in DC Comics in the 52 weekly series, I believe. And I say I believe in in DC Comics because kind of, sort of, and they didn't go in the direction with Adriana that in this first movie, nor do I think they should have, that they did in the 52 comics of her becoming Isis. Mm. Now, the Isis comic that DC published back in the 70s was an adaptation and a licensed property from Filmation that was doing the live-action Shazam! Captain Marvel TV show and Isis. The difference between the two was while they licensed, Filmation licensed the Captain Marvel stuff, they created Isis. Mm. But Filmation has gone away uh, long since, and DC, while not recreating the character exactly, instead of it being Andrea Thomas, it's Andrea Tomas, and similar powers in the comics, that kind of a thing. I'm pretty sure Amon was from the comics. I forget if it was as her younger brother, maybe. Mm. And he effectively became kind of Black Adam Jr., if you will. There was one point when I half expected Teth to give the powers to Amon. Yes, I was expecting that too. And there's, again, still that possibility in a future movie. Yeah. And certainly after we get the second Shazam movie and such, if we, if when we get another Black Adam one, it would make sense for him to be building up his kind of family of, of heroes. Mm-hmm. So again, there are a lot of things that they, they pulled from various points in, in comic history and whatnot. Just touching on the casting, Amon was played by Bodhi Sabangu. I wish I could pronounce the name correctly. Mm. But his father is an actor who played the captain slash the chief on The Flash. Yes. And he's got more than a walk on, but not by much in this. And there again, you know, pandemic filming and a kid has to have a guardian with them at all times when they're on set. Well, so I'm sure the production was happy if when the garden guardian turned up and was an actor. It's also kind of nice to have somebody from the CW TV shows showing up here, particularly when it's a character with a lightning connection. Yeah. So that was kind of fun. Adrian was played by Sarah Shahi, mm-hmm. who was on Person of Interest. She did, oh, the uh, Fairly Legal. She did Fairly Legal. What was the VR show? Oh, yes. It had the guy from Heroes, in, one of the guys from Heroes, that played whatever the blood-based villain was in one of the Flash seasons. Yes, I would have to look up that show. That was a fun Started one, Started with an R, I think. Anyways, yeah. she was on that. So She's done a lot of good work. Yeah, yeah. And she really, I mean, I'm used to seeing her do some pretty far out characters in terms of over the top bubbly mm-hmm. or person of interest was just, you know, I'm not sure she's sane. This was a very straightforward, focused and believable character. Yeah. And she, she really nailed the passionate about her country's history, patriotic in a sense of you know what, we don't need necessarily Captain America who has the perfect image. We need the person who's going to show up and help us gain our freedom. When she's reading Hawkman, the riot act of, you know, people have essentially taken over our country 20 years ago and whatever. The day this guy shows up is the first time you all show up. 
she mommed the heroes. Uh, she was a well-done character and well-played. Really all around. I mean, when she informed Hawkman that he and Black Adam were going to work together, and she gave Black Adam the same, you know, you two, yeah. Yeah. Until we get my son back, you two are going to work together. What did you think of Aldous Hodge as Hawkman? Part of it is I just like his acting. Yeah, so I'm, a, I'm a fan of the actor. That That definitely plays into I really enjoyed it. Part of it, too, was there were times when I really liked how he could use the wings. Yeah. There were one or two times, like, someone's going to die, is it going to be Adam Smasher or whatnot? He felt a little too much like Hardison from Leverage. Yeah. There were definitely times that, yeah. But there were also other times he totally owned the role. Yeah. And this is not the first live-action Hawkman we've had. I think it's the fourth. Prior to this, we had the one from... Legends of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Actually, I take it back. Uh, in addition to Legends of Tomorrow, I think we've have we seen one in Stargirl? I don't remember. I can't remember. I know he was alluded to. I don't remember if we've actually seen Carter though. But we definitely saw him in Hawkman in Smallville because that was Michael Shanks from Stargate. Mm-hmm. But then even further back than that, and this is a, a bit of an obscure one was in the late 70s, there were two live-action kind of superhero roasts of Legends of the Superheroes. Mm. And there was a, a Hawkman in that. Now, granted, costuming, totally, you know, yeah. live-action 70s era, you know, low budget. So the take they had here, they didn't dwell too much on his backstory. Not at all. Yeah. We know he's got a ship of nth metal. We don't really know what nth metal is in this movie, but... I liked the window up front he could dive out of. Mm -hmm. I kind of liked when he was informing Black Adam, you know, there are advantages to taking prisoners. They can answer questions. There was a good back and forth between Hawkman and Black Adam that I enjoyed. Yeah. The don't drop them. What would you have done if I hadn't been here? Oh, I knew you'd be there. So, yeah. Yeah. I also like kind of the back and forth with Dr. Fate. I did. Yeah. And Pierce Brosnan, hard to go wrong with, with him as an actor. Well, and there again, right actor for the role in terms of he really owned that I've got the years, I've got the wisdom, but I've got the burden of this helmet that shows me the futures. Yeah, I would have found it interesting if they had let one of the previous people to do Dr. Fate, if he'd been in the role. And that was Odette Ferrer who did the voice in the cartoons. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, Pierce Brosnan nailed the role, did a great job, but I think Odette Ferrer could have done equally good of a job. Different job. But could he be the next one? What happened to the helmet now? Yeah, but if you're going to go with a different Dr. Fate, I think it ceases to be Kent Nelson. Okay. And you don't want to have somebody that's too similar to Kent Nelson. I think they're going to go with one of the handful that have, have been Dr. Fate since. But to me, that's something you do in a Justice Society movie, not in another Black Adam movie, Mm, too. mm -hmm. But they've opened the door to a possible Justice Society. Definitely. And it almost felt like a Mission Impossible, you know, who have you gathered this time? Mm -hmm. So it seems like, potentially, there's the whole greater group of JSA members that could be drawn for another mission at some point. So I, I would... Honestly, I'd love to see that. I'm a big fan of the the Justice Society. Have been for decades. That was some of the stuff in the late 70s, early 80s that I just loved. Because they were off on their own earth. It was a little older school approach to it. 
and it was just a different world of characters from the mainstream DC at the time. Yet again, Hawkman's on both worlds, a few things like that. It was it was fun. Mm-hmm. And Roy Thomas did some great stuff set both in World War II and then present day with the Earth 2 characters, mm. which JSA is not exclusively Earth 2 characters, but predominantly Earth 2 characters, just because, again, of, of that era and whatnot. They've since pulled in a few members that are post-crisis from the merged Earth, etc. And again, when you pull in a character like Black Adam, that kind of wasn't available initially for the, the JSA because different comic company. Yeah. But then pulled in. So I, I felt they, they had enough characters to do some stuff with. Nobody seemed overly extraneous. Adam Smasher and Cyclone being the almost the backup members of the JSA in this group, not the heavy hitters of Hawkman and Dr. Fate, of course. So often now we get kind of the kids and the adults. Yeah. And they were the kids. And again, though, that totally fits the, the, the way it would be in the comics, too. So I was okay with that. But you figure you've got four JSA members, Black Adam, Adriana, her son. Then you've got the whole bad guy contingent and stuff. There were a number of characters, but it never felt overwhelming. Mm. And I felt they did a, a good job with that. And they kept the action moving. And they were also very clear throughout that while Teth Adam may be doing things that are perceived as heroic, he is under zero impression that he himself is a hero. Yeah. And that gave this a different feel than a Captain America or a Superman or a Spider-Man or a Batman or a Wonder Woman kind of a movie. But it didn't feel like it was a movie about a villain. And some of that was aided by the fact that there was a greater villain. Yes. Black Adam fell into the middle ground. Going back to your he's a reluctant hero in this. Well, and in the comics, I think one of the big things that Jeff Johns did with the character that they very much played on the concept here is he's one that could be easily perceived as a hero and be a villain or a hero kind of. Yeah. He, he's it's not so much that he's on the fence or wishy-washy, but... Some of it's perspective. Some of it's perspective and some of it's situational. Yeah. Had things been a little different, he very much could have been an A-list hero or a world-ending villain. Yeah. You know? So I think having that moral ambiguity and uncertainty makes him a more interesting character than, say, a Superman or Shazam. I would almost want to put him in a situation where he's doing okay, he's on the right path, and something happens to Adriana and Amon. Because as long as he has the two of them, I think he's grounded. And that was one of the things that was kind of played with in the comics during the 52 era and stuff like that. He's built up a family unit. He's established Kondok as a safe haven for metahumans and whatnot. And then things go a little awry. And I think he would be a character that would move heaven and earth to undo their deaths. Because it's either undo their deaths or he might fall to the other side. Yeah. And it makes him a very interesting character in that respect. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He's one that, in my mind, is more along the lines of like a Doctor Doom or Namor than a Superman or, again, Captain America type. One of the things I felt they played really well was Amon would tell him things, and then, and sometimes really soon right after, Black Adam would be saying the exact same thing, kind of the, I he learned was that lesson. Yeah. You know. He's teachable. Yes, yes. But not orderable. Yes, well, but it's, you know, but maybe next time, choose your words more carefully. Yeah. Catchphrase, then kill them. Yes, yes. Yeah. 
there are a couple of times where it's wasn't fast enough. <laughs> yeah, it it had a sense of humor without being overly comedic. Again, the use of sarcasm versus lying, etc. Mm-hmm. You know, there was humor without being corny or campy or making fun of the property. Yeah, and that's that's a tough one at times. So overall. I, I'm not going to say it's the best film I've ever seen or the best superhero film I've ever seen or anything like that. I've had a few others that honestly I've enjoyed a a bit more than this, but I think it was well done. I did enjoy it. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. So I want to see more of this. I think they've got new leadership at DC in terms of the movie slate and stuff like that. I'm curious what direction they're going to go. I think The Rock is obviously a very bankable Mm. actor. He's very passionate about this character, these projects. I think this is something that they could use to help build up the DC universe. The question is, do they choose to do that? And certainly they ended on a note that could be very interesting to follow up on. Mm -hmm. And there's a few other obvious characters for Black Adam to interact with, Shazam being definitely one of them. And it would almost be funny to have the Zach Levi Shazam show up in a Black Adam film as the antagonist, not the villain, mm. the antagonist, because they're polar opposites. Yeah. A very serious father figure in Black Adam with a goofball kid, Shazam, who's seen as the hero. Sometimes Black Adam's seen as the villain, and maybe Shazam's there to help out, but just gets in the way and is causing, you know, there's, there's a lot of things you could do there that could be comedic. Mm-hmm. Just by circumstance. Yeah. And then having the two forced to team up and learn from each other. Sometimes you got to do it his way or or the other way or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So a lot of potential, a lot yeah. of possibility. So I thought this was a, a, a decent film, good film, yeah. entertainable film. But I can see where some people would love it and other people might not. I think a lot of times when I want just a relaxing film, I want a 100% hero. And the moral ambiguity, I think, is part of why it's not at the top of the top for me. But it was a very entertaining film. Yeah, yeah. I think the fact he's not a clear-cut hero, the way that we've seen Superman, or Captain America, Spider-Man, to name a couple, or even Shazam for that matter, makes it... It's, it's, it's not like it's a hurdle it's got to overcome, but it doesn't have that feel-good aspect. Mm-hmm. That some of the Marvel movies had. And I, I, I call out the Marvel movies because it's hard to consider some of the DC films that have multiple funerals and stuff like that as exactly. uplifting. Exactly. Yeah. So I, again, I'm curious where they go with this and if they choose to build on it. And if not, I think that's a mistake because I think it's, it's worth building on. Yeah, I agree. Anything else? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.